No matter how dark or cold or scary things get, that pilot light inside you does not go out. It is burning inside you. Hey guys, it's Kathy Heller. Welcome back to the podcast. So I'm so excited to share today's episode with you because I actually recorded this live just a couple days ago with Mel Robbins. We had a event for her in Los Angeles to celebrate the birth of her new podcast. And we had this interview and conversation together and it was just so much fun. So I look forward to doing more things like that. In fact, next week, Thursday and Friday, uh, we will be doing two full days of live and it's going to be so much fun and we still have tickets left. If you'd like to join us for this incredible, epic two days, you can go to kathyheller.com slash dreams and you will have the following time to meditate with me, time to envision all that you want to create. There'll be a breathwork session by Samantha Skelly. You're going to hear from my incredible friend, Amy Purdy. We're going to be workshopping how you can fully let go of whatever is in the way of you just totally dreaming up what you really want this next year. And Andy Grammer is going to be performing and we're going to be really working to heal whatever is in the subconscious program and change it and not just change it, but we're also going to be giving you some of the strategy that you can start actioning right away to start bringing your beautiful dreams to life There's going to be a sound bath as well as a hypnosis session as well. And I'm so excited for it. If you want to get tickets, you can go to kathyheller.com slash dreams. And if you DM me on Instagram, I've been giving a couple tickets away at a very discounted price. You can DM me for that special code. All right. So as I said, I did this taping live with Mel Robbins a couple days ago. We were at the West Hollywood Ondas Hotel in the penthouse. We had 200 incredible people there, sold out event. It was such a beautiful energy. And I just want to give a huge thanks to those of you who were there live. Mel was on the podcast last year, and I'm sure most of you know who she is. But if you're not familiar, she's a New York Times bestselling author. She's written books like The Five Second Rule and The High Five Habit. She's also one of the most sought after speakers. She's a mom of three, and now she has her own podcast. I highly recommend that you go subscribe because it's so good. It's called The Mel Robbins Podcast. In celebration of this launch, I wanted to bring our audiences together so we could talk about what made her want to start this show, how her show will change your life. And we're going to talk about finding the light when we're facing things that feel dark, like anxiety or jealousy and the parts of ourself that just feel like they get in the way sometimes. It was such an honor to be in the presence of Mel and everybody who came. It was so much fun, such a gift. And you know, it's funny, a few years ago, someone asked me, if you could really follow in the footsteps of anybody's career, who inspires you? Who would it be? And I had said at the time, Mel Robbins. And so 
very cool, very surreal to become friends and not only friends, but to really feel like we have such a deep connection. And here we are doing this interview together in front of all of you guys. And and I'm just so, so delighted. And it just goes to show it's really unbelievable what's possible when we just like step in to our life with like full clarity without any resistance and we just show up. It's amazing the synchronicities that come. You're going to love this conversation. So without further ado, please welcome the extraordinary Mel Robbins. Hi, everybody. Hi. Oh my God, you made it. So awesome to see everybody. Thank you for spending your time with us this afternoon. I was sitting back there. I could barely hear a damn thing. I was um, you know, like standing there like this. Um, and I heard you say, close your eyes. And um, what'd you come here to hear? What'd you come here? It was come here yeah. to hear? Yeah. Okay, what'd you come here to hear? I heard come here to do. And so I, uh, of course, because I'm such a doer. And my answer was this I said, I came here to give love and to receive it. And the receiving it is the hard part for me. And so if I have an intention for you over the next two hours, it is to allow yourself to receive the love that we're going to pour into you. So beautiful. Already so beautiful. Give her a round of applause for that. Um, I want to give you another visual, though. I I don't mean to hijack your podcast. You're not hijacking anything. Okay. So I've been working a lot on on this myself. And I recently uh, learned something that had a really profound impact on me from a confidence, happiness, mental health standpoint. I don't know if I should look at everybody or if I should look at you. <laughs> You're doing great. Am I doing great? Yeah. Okay. Look at you. Oh, my God. Thank you. Thank you. See, get what you pay for, damn it. Uh, yeah, we're here for the love. So somebody recently told me that that anxiety is due to separation that you felt as a kid. That is the source of all anxiety. And that in moments when you feel anxiety, it's triggered by moments where you feel separate. Separate from people that you're around, separate from something that you want, separate from your power. And that when you also are feeling anxiety, you're blocking love. Because you didn't feel that love in moments of separation as a kid. And one of the interesting things is I've been kind of playing around with this notion because I've spent a lifetime dealing with anxiety and I've always hated it. And that makes it worse because it comes on and then I'm like, oh, I hate feeling this way. And I recently learned from this guy, Dr. Kennedy, that actually instead of trying to manage it, see your anxiety as an alarm, like a little you waving a flag. Going, hey, 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 remember me? I need a little love right now. I need a little reassurance right now. And so I've also started visualizing because when he said anxiety means you, you block love because you didn't get it at times when you're little. And so you're also blocking the love you need from yourself. And so I started to think a lot about that concept. And I've been playing around with this visual that I want to share with you all. And I want you to kind of notice it as you're sitting here with us, Okay. When you block love, you basically slam a door. And you might even deadbolt the sucker. When you think about the concept of receiving love 
because I want you to visualize like the galley doors to a kitchen that swing both ways. And to me, you know, when I think a lot about like birthdays, which I'm always, how many of you like are uncomfortable at your birthday or you're uncomfortable when somebody compliments you or you're uncomfortable when somebody gives you credit or that's you blocking love. And so as the conversation rolls today, I want you to just kind of notice, is the door closed with the bolt shut? Or is there a swinging door that's allowing you to receive and to give with your energy, with the way that you're thinking, with what you're saying to yourself? Because the visual helps me check myself when I close off. That's so beautiful. And uh, I just spent two days with Deepak Chopra, and he was talking about all the things that uh, make us feel separate, basically. And really, it's, it's amazing. You know, Einstein even said, like, this is such an illusion, although very persistent. But really, there's just this one infinite field of energy, right? And uh, if we looked through different lenses, we would see, like, we're all connected. And why is that important? He said, you're not, like, you can say, I am Mel Robbins, or I am Kathy Heller, or I could just say, I am. Because when I was conceived, whatever that is, that's really me, right? My body's changed. My taste in music has changed. I didn't love sushi as an 11-year-old. What was I thinking? Now I do. Um, but who we really are is that oneness. And so when you meditate, you do any kind of meditative process, you, as Martha Beck said to me, instead of being in the blizzard of the thoughts, you're witnessing the blizzard, right? And so whoever is that witness, that's really you. That's your higher self, your consciousness. And so Deepak said, he said to me, he goes, we're just the divine pretending to be a person, right? That's the part of us that's so wired into the identity, the story, all that stuff that makes us super anxious. And so we were recently in, uh, in South Carolina on the May River. We were watching these dolphins. And I turned to my husband and I said, look at those dolphins. Like, they don't, um, they don't resist just fully enjoying the fullness of this experience. They don't say, oh, it's okay, I don't need this much water, I don't need this much sun, it's all right, I'll just have a little spot, I'll just be over, you know, there's no redwood tree that's like, you know, it's okay, I don't need to feel good all the time, I don't want to take this other redwood tree's light, you know. But we do that because receiving, we feel so separate from this oneness, but we're all in this oneness, and you know that part of you that's always got some well-being going on, that's really you. That's the part of you that is love, right? So... Thank you for starting this off with an already powerful moment. So let's just begin. Let's, let's make this like a, one of those epic, for anyone, let's say, who had never heard of you, right? And then we're just beginning this story. <laughs> um, let's begin with what you just did, and then we'll sort of unpack it. So you just launched a podcast, right? Yeah. You've already done so many, like, yeah, where are you going? Where are you going with it? Um, <laughs> You've done so many things, and we're going to kind of go backwards in time a little bit. We're going to begin with where we are right now. Why did you want to do that? What did you feel you have to say that's still this unrelenting need to put this in the world? What was it that you felt was left unsaid that you wanted to say with this show? Um, well, I'm just, I'm just trying to think of a good answer, because you They're said epic good. conversation. Oh, no, so no. Um, <laughs> Um, the pressure, the pressure for epic. So I'll tell you why I do what I do. So I got a note from Jennifer. Do you mind if I read it? No, go ahead. Okay. 
She said, thank you for teaching us how to bring our own sunshine. You are one of the sparks that helped me light the way back to myself during some dark times. And for that, I am forever grateful. And the part I want to call out is helped me light the way back. Because I might be the spark, but you're the one that actually stoked the flame. And I think no matter how dark or cold or scary things get, unlike the uh, boiler at a house or an apartment building, that pilot light inside you does not go out. It is burning inside you. And the reason why I do what I do is because I spent decades making my life harder than it needed to be. I spent decades being a complete jerk to myself and blocking love and having a campaign of misery that kept me company inside my own head. And as my life got better and better and better and I started attacking the problems, that campaign of misery just turned inward and started attacking me. And I thought I was the only one that felt this way. I thought I was the only one that was struggling with childhood trauma and a nervous system that was dysregulated and all kinds of guilt and stuff that was, you know, in relationships. And I thought I was the only one that did awful things in college that I regret and in law school that I regret and in my 20s and 30s and maybe 40s and maybe yesterday that I regret. And when I finally started to find simple things that I could latch onto, simple actions that I could take that felt like that flame inside me that I think represents love, it represents the magic and the possibility that you were born to create in this world, it represents the kind of yearning of wanting more love in your life, wanting to make a difference, wanting to feel more deeply connected. When I started to realize, wow, I'm not the only one that was literally almost trying to extinguish my own light, but that there were things that I could do that would alleviate my own suffering, that would make me feel a little happier. And what I figure is if I can save anybody, the headache, the heartache, the, the, the crap that I put myself through just because they didn't know any better and because of the DNA and the genetics and the experiences that I've had that every one of you have probably had. If I could save anybody what I put myself through, that is a life well lived. That makes my flame inside burn brighter. And so I am absolutely obsessed with figuring out ways to be happier, to be more connected, to process the mistakes that I make faster, to apologize more quickly, to, to manage my tone of voice around my kids and husband that's not going so well. <laughs> if I could, like that to me is incredible. And so when I also get this kind of note or you guys stop me outside the bathroom or you know, I, I bump into somebody in the hall and they say, hey, that thing that you shared helped my child with anxiety. Or that, or somebody stopped me yesterday and they're like, oh my gosh, your husband Chris is, is starting a new master's program at the age of 52. I just went, I just signed up for nursing school because I've 
finally started listening to myself. I started seeing and feeling that flame inside me. That's why I do what I do. And so hearing that the videos that I'm making above my garage in Southern <laughs> Vermont are reaching around the world and that it matters to somebody, to a real human being, that is everything to me. So, so beautiful. And, and everything that I've done, because, you know, I got into this at a moment of personal crisis. I mean, I, I literally just started sharing stuff. And at that point, there were liens on our house and my husband had left the restaurant business. And if we wanted to keep the house and pay our bills, and if I wanted my kids in town soccer, by God, I needed to make some money. And so when people started to ask me to speak because of that TEDx talk, I just started saying yes and yes and yes and yes and yes. And I'm I, like, when I sit up here and I, I see the lives that have changed and I see everything that's happened, I, the only explanation for me is that by sharing my story and sharing my experiences, I have found my calling. And the reason why I am doing a podcast is because most everything that I do is was like either in a book or it was on a corporate stage or it was in partnership with Audible or Starbucks or JP Morgan. And the only thing that we were really putting out there that was helping everybody was social media. And you can only get so personal in a 60 second reel. You can only go so deep in a, you know, thing that you're doing on YouTube. And it's an enormous platform. It's absolutely incredible um, in terms of how you can reach people and how you can inspire people and how you can inspire yourself and how you can tap into your creativity. But I was so thirsty for a way to connect with you in real time and bring you into my life. So my social media is trying to bring you behind the scenes as we're like at work and we're talking to people just like you and me and, and trying to bring you there. I want this podcast to literally be real time in terms of the things that I'm struggling with or the things that we just tried that worked. Or like we have an episode coming up where we're take, I take you on a hike for about three minutes and then I start huffing and puffing so much because I have not been exercising that we have to do the rest of the thing in the studio. Um, but that's what I want to do. I want to just uh, do life together, share what's going on together, uh, interview really amazing people together because I don't, I don't feel like I'm ahead of you. I feel like I'm right next to you. And there are times where you've done something that I haven't done and you're going to hold the light a little higher and I'm going to follow you. And there are times where I've been a step ahead of you or Kathy's been a step of you. That's the way that I look at this. It's so beautiful. And um, I, I want to just sort of highlight a theme in all of that, which is you're so unabashedly honest. And one of the things that I think is so poisonous is shame because... As far as being human goes, there's a way to hold space for pain. There's a way to hold space for grief. There's a way to hold space for all of the feelings, joy, enthusiasm, excitement. But shame is so toxic, it's hard to even be with it because it's not really coming from you. It's sort of like this, this cancer, if you will, of like a feeling that doesn't really have a place. And when I interviewed Dan Harris a while ago, who you might know him and his work and 10% Happier, 
But he said, like, the thing he realized in his process was just welcoming all of it to the table. And my mindfulness teacher used to say, when you have tea in the morning, have tea and welcome the parts of you that are brave and the parts of you that self-sabotage and the parts of you that lie and the parts of you that are pleasing and the parts of you that are fierce and sec all of it, all of it. And um, I, if we could do one amazing thing today, um, because there's a power in resonance. You know, if you take two guitars and you put them on a table next to each other and you plucked a C string on this guitar, the, the C string on the other guitar actually vibrates and makes a sound. And so being in the company of Mel Robbins and seeing her resonance and the willingness to just be all that she is, I hope that you'll resonate there. I hope that you'll walk out of here and allow yourself to be everything you are without the shame, right? And so I want to ask you, that is to me the most impressive thing in the world and it's really who you are so if somebody would love to have that more in their life like here I am hotmess.com here I how were you able to do that and how can they do well I would not do it the way I did (laughs) which has been the first I don't know 40 some years of your life lying cheating hating yourself um, ignoring, feeling the opposite vibrational energy, which is jealousy and self-criticism. So I was one of those people that um, I was so jealous all the time. I was so envious. I was probably the world's worst friend because I was so insecure and I didn't understand what the anxiety was that I was feeling or the trauma. I didn't even realize I had trauma being a survivor. Um, I-, I didn't know any of it. And so I just was this like ball of feelings that I could not process or tolerate. And so I drank a lot to quiet them. And I would attach myself in romantic relationships because they are an incredible distraction from a really negative mind and from a nervous system that's always running. And I thought something was wrong with me. I thought I was damaged goods. And I absolutely did not believe I was worthy of the things that I wanted in my life. And I had this strategy, too, where I was kind of fake confident. So I kind of had this thing, like, you know how kids pick teams on playgrounds? Yeah. Those of us that are insecure have two roles. We either hold back and hope to God that somebody picks us or cross our arms and don't play at all because we assume somebody won't. Or we're the first to show up, so we do the picking as an offensive move. Right? And so I would probably say I was somewhat of a bully both to myself and probably other people. I was probably not really well liked. And it was all insecurity. And also not understanding that what was revving through my system was not a nervous stomach. It was anxiety and undiagnosed ADHD and dyslexia and just feeling separate all the time. And so... The jealousy I struggled with was, I think, a result of a number of things. 
I couldn't, I wasn't happy for myself, so how could I be happy for anybody else, right? And the other thing is, is that there was so much that I wanted to do in my life, to be in my life, to have in my life. I mean, I think of abundance when I think of you, like magical abundance. <laughs> I, and, and, and my story happens for everybody else, does not happen for me. And so I would see a friend that would like get into their dream school and I'm like, that's great. You know, like, you know, in the in the in the thirties, you know what that looks like? Oh, you're you're, you're renovating a kitchen, and you have a house. Oh, that's great. You know? Fuck you. Um, because even though the light is there, and how do you know the light is there? Because you're feeling jealousy. The jealousy is just your insecurity and your story about not being worthy, or your life experience of having experiences that said you're not worthy, you're other, you don't belong here, whatever it was that made you feel separate. Jealousy is a negative version of inspiration and abundance. It's your, your desires getting blocked by your fears and insecurity and your own story. And so I was a hot mess because I was present to the things that I wanted, just like you're present to the things that you want. You really are. And for anybody that's like, I don't know what I want, it's baloney. Because yeah. all we need to do is either start with, okay, well, what do you not want? And then we flip it. Or I just challenge you, and you know, so does Kathy. Well, if I were to do all the work, what do you want? And you'd know. Yeah. Because you're able to look at Kathy and I go, well, they can do it. But then you let your insecurity go, but, you know, never works out for me. And, you know, she's there for me. <laughs> and so I do not recommend that you get so sick of yourself <laughs> and you have a massive panic attack breakdown and you drink yourself into the ground. I do not recommend this. I do not recommend that you tolerate jealousy and lying to yourself and excuses for why you can't get started and why you can't do this. I do not recommend that you spend almost all your energy fueling at things that like anger you or you're resistant to or all that. I do not recommend any of that. And it's one of the reasons why I am so honest. Lying is exhausting. You have to remember what you said. <laughs> you also know that you're doing it. So they might not know, but you know. It is so much easier just to be honest. And that starts with you. It starts with you being honest with yourself about what you actually want. And... I knew that when I was in breakdown in 2014, I knew what I wanted. I did not want to lose a house. I did not want to be an alcoholic. I did not want to have my marriage blow up. And so I got to work. And I, you know, built the business and I made money and we paid off our debt and we started to, and like it didn't happen overnight, it happens over time. But two years ago, when the pandemic hit, and I was fired from my dream job, that talk show, thank God. And then uh, the speaking business and event business imploded. And I'm responsible for 15 families, like income and, and healthcare and terrifying, right? And the anxiety comes roaring back. 
I could not answer, what do I want my life to look like? Because I didn't know. And there was a part of me that's like, I don't want it to look like this. I don't want to be on planes all the time. I don't want to be racing all over the place. I don't want to feel on edge and busy and tired. I need to figure out what I actually want. And it was the opposite of the way things looked. The opposite of the way things looked. And that's how you can begin. That's how you tap back into this flame that's inside you. Notice who you're jealous of. Slow down a little bit and ask yourself the question, what do I want my life to look like? For real. What do I want it to feel like? It's so powerful, isn't it? And um, I just wanted to, to add that, you know, as I was sort of going through my own journey and then in the last five years getting to meet and befriend such incredible people, I realized that the cost of admission to this table was this. It was just the willingness to be this vulnerable and honest. Nobody has like, oh, I was the valedictorian of the best school and here's my, re-. it was, it's all the, this, this not look at me, but come with me. And so your version of you right now is for somebody else exactly what they need, just like that. And I remember, I don't even know why I'm thinking of this story. It's going to totally incriminate me. It's going to be on record. It's going to be recorded. <laughs> but um, my husband and I, when we were dating, we broke up. And we broke up for seven months, and then we got back together. And then he had to finish business school. He couldn't get engaged. It was a whole thing. But my anxiety was, like, through the roof. Anyway, while we were broken up, um, I had a conversation with him. And I told him that this guy that he knew, like a mutual friend, I was like, oh, he asked me out. And he was like, oh, okay. And I was trying to make him jealous. And then a couple weeks later, I ran into my husband, who then I saw him at a party or whatever, and I... I said, oh, hey. And he said, I spoke to so-and-so. <laughs> and I said, oh, starting to get real hot. <laughs> no. He goes, uh, he didn't ask you out. Yeah. And um, I said, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I'm like starting to die a death, like, like the w- wicked witch when she's about to melt into the floor. And then I look over and see he's like walking towards us. It's like, this is the moment. And um, I'm just, like, literally, like, spinning. I'm like, what am I going to do? What am I going to say? What am I, you know? And then I'm like, oh, hey, how's it going? You know? He's like, oh, hey, did you guys say hi? Yeah, great. And, um, and, I, and I left, and it was so embarrassing. It was just so humiliating. And a couple days later, I, I was in a yoga class, which, I mean, just to be in yoga for three seconds at that time, I was, like, coming out of my skin. But after <laughs> class... After class, I spoke to my yoga teacher, and she said, how's it been going? And I just, like, burst into tears. And I was like, can you just listen to this? And I told her. And I told her, like, that little piece. And she said, oh, that's too bad. That was such a missed opportunity for you. And I'm like, what would you, what would you have done? And she said, I would have said, oh, I lied about that. I was like, what the f- What? What? And she goes, yeah. Yeah, I would have just said, yeah, I lied because um, my heart's in about a thousand pieces. And um, I would like to make you jealous if that's possible. <laughs> and I lost it. I was like, that's an option? Like, <laughs> like, honesty is an option? You know, like, I don't have to defend myself. And she's like, nope, nope, nope. You could just say, yeah, this is what's up. And I've never looked back from that. 
So if like my husband and I are in a conversation and he's like, you know, who smashed the Range Rover? No, that's how it happened. But like, whatever, some things happen. Who didn't pick up the kids? No, but if some things ever happen, I'm like, I did that. I screwed up. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm, or, or just in general, like it just, since that point on, I have freed myself. It's like, what? He's never lied. He's never altered the truth. Raise your hand <laughs> if you're in this room and you've ever lied. Like today. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. Yeah. And by the way, if you think you've no, if you think you've not lied, which you all were really honest, so good for you. But even if you think you haven't lied, I'll tell you what, I'm such a people pleaser, that's lying. Because telling people that you're okay and you're not okay, I've literally, Mel, I've watched myself get a parking ticket because I didn't want to interrupt someone and go pay my parking meter. That's the, I'm like DEFCON pleaser, like all the way. Well, and I hate to blame your parents. (laughs) Please do, now's the time. But, you know, and I think about this because, look, having having three kids, I have screwed them up. There is no question. (laughs) Absolutely no question. Your kids are amazing. I don't know. Yeah, they're awesome, but you can't do it perfectly. And if I ever get mad at my parents, I then go one generation back and I'm like, oh, well, that explains it. (laughs) And here's the thing. Like, at some point, you learn that Oh, to be loved or keep the peace, I gotta lie. We just thought, like, you know, I, I learned to speak English in my house. Why? Because that's what was being spoken. If you got in trouble when mom or dad was upset, you very quickly learned how to adapt. And the way that you adapted is you did not say what you were thinking. And by the way, it didn't matter if you did either, anyway, because you were a kid. Like, if I had looked at my mom and was like, you know, I don't feel like having pot roast tonight. That's the truth. (laughs) Should have been like, how do you feel about going to your room right now? (laughs) And so, you know, if you think about this kind of new, like, we're so lucky that we talk about this stuff. We are so lucky that we are in an era where mental health is an open discussion. I mean, I was basically a freak in high school. I could see it. Yes, oh, totally. Totally. I, I, I did not know. Nobody spoke about anxiety. I'm not even sure you could get Prozac at that point. I had a nervous stomach, and I would chug milk of Melanta before track meets. Yeah, that chalky stuff for, you know, antacid. And I, 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 that's what we called it. There was no self-help section. You were some weirdo if you went to a therapist. Yeah. Like, we just did not talk about this stuff. And so I think that was also part of why I'm so open because I was so like just desperate for somebody to tell me that I was okay. Yeah. And my folks, like they did the best that they could. But in terms of like, I've also been looking a lot at this concept of parental mismatch where maybe your parents are freaking amazing. And yet you liked punk rock. And they like country music, you know, or you, you know, wanted to go into dance and they come from a long line of lawyers. And so it just felt like you didn't get some foundational needs met. Or maybe you were in a house where, uh, you know, you were discriminated against, like you couldn't even be yourself because of your sexual identity, because of your gender, because of your race, because of your religion. That is a lived experience. 
of actually lying for your own survival right. because as a child, you can't survive without your parents. And so you got to honor that stuff right. and have some grace for yourself. And so, you know, I feel like, what were we talking about? <laughs> no idea what we were just, just talking go about. With it. I have a question, though, to follow up with that. You said something about... I said nothing. No, I don't know. But I, can I ask you a question to follow up on this? Yeah. So, um, it's like, sure. I don't remember what it said. Um, so, my friend Mark Groves said to me, he said it so well. He said, all day long, you're given two choices, or so you think, authenticity or belonging. Oh, yeah. And most people choose belonging. So, everyone's lying. But the, the, the problem is that we are afraid of not belonging, right? We're afraid of not being liked. And so, to follow up with what you're saying, and I'll let you... Go ahead, drink some water. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Yeah. Make it very smooth, like a dance. Um, so, to follow up with that, once you're willing to, let's say... You're going to be honest. You're going to tell the truth, right? Then there is a possibility that somebody won't like it, right? Your parents might not like it. You should you just assume they won't. Okay, so how do we deal Because you're not with... telling the truth to be liked. That's it. You're telling the truth to free yourself. Because if you lie about what you're thinking or how you're feeling or what you need, you are taking actions to prove that you actually don't love yourself. Like, imagine if a, if, a, if a kid comes up to you crying at a grocery store. What would you do? Hug him. You'd reassure him. What do you do to yourself? You talk yourself down. You know? I, seriously. If you saw somebody, like, kicking a dog, what would you do? You'd call the police. You'd intervene. you kick yourself down all the time. So if you just start with the baseline, lying is an act of self-hatred. Because you would rather somebody else like you or not be upset than to just say what's so for you. Now, there's a big difference, everybody, between so content good. and tone. And there's also a time and a place in terms of the discretion or the type of conversation that you're going to have. But I don't think you should ever edit the true content of what you're feeling or thinking, right? The actual message that's the truth. But you can say it in a way that is not mean. You can say it in a way that's softer. Sort of like that lie. Yes, I, I, I did lie because my heart is in a million pieces. Like There's a level of honesty to that that just blows you open. Yeah. Because it's both the truth about what you did and the truth about how you feel. Yeah. Yeah, how many of you, raise your hand, how many of you saw Dear Evan Hansen, that play, musical? Oh my gosh, that was like a religious experience for me. I flew to New York to see it with Ben Platt. He was incredible. And then I saw it three other times. I actually took my team to see it. Um, and thank you to my sister for introducing me to everything beautiful that I love in my life, including that. Um, why that musical is so powerful and every, he won Best Actor, Tony won the uh, Tony for Best Actor and everybody saw it from like Beyonce to Hillary Clinton to Mike Pence, like it went across aisles, everybody saw it. And um, why it was so powerful is because it's about a kid who tells a lie and uh, then is extremely vulnerable and says, here's, here's what I did. And it's so um, lovable. There's nobody, let me put it this way, there's no one who wouldn't love you if they heard you tell your truth. Like, it's, it's even if your truth is not their preference of what they'd want to hear, 
it's just such a mic drop when someone just says, Here, here's what I am, here's what's up. Um, we had dinner at our house with a couple, two, two couples a few years ago. And these are couples that my, my kids go to school with their kids. And I have a, a beautiful uh, piece of art on the wall that says, uh, and because they worked so hard at trying to figure this out, they were able to stay together. Like, that's what it says, right? That's what marriage is like for me, at least. And one of the guys at the table said, oh, that's really beautiful that you have that hanging in your dining room. And I said, well, we're in therapy. We're working on it all the time. It's really hard. Um, And he said, wow, that's really honest. And then he said, "Uh, you know, I'm actually, uh, I've been in recovery for six years because uh, I'm a heroin addict. Heroin addict. And these are my kids' friends' parents. (laughs) But, like, like, I fell in love with him. I was like, you're amazing. Like, that was my first thought. You're amazing. Wait, watch this. Then the couple sitting to my right, the husband says, I'm actually a meth addict. Like, currently? Like, like, in, like sober, but like oh, okay. on and off the wagon. We had the juiciest, most amazing... I mean, I thought I had issues, right? The, the, and then we talked about all the real issues that we all have, which is really just this. It really just comes back down to this. But it's amazing how sexy and beautiful honesty is. It's just, it's so freeing. And my friend Susie Moore said, it's not a problem that people won't like you. It's a problem that you think that's not going to happen. Or it's a problem that you think it shouldn't happen. Because you're right, it's just freeing yourself, right? And the truth is that everyone is having their own experience projecting onto everybody else. So you could be the best Italian food, you could be Jerry Seinfeld, you could be Greece, and people are just like, no, I'm not into Greece. No, I don't like Seinfeld. I don't like Italian food. It's like allowing people to have their own experience is just such a beautiful gift to yourself. And letting people exit, right? Like letting people exit. if they really found out, like, what does Elphaba say? I'm now outing myself such a musical theater nerd. I'm talking about two musicals. But she says, if that's love, it comes at much too high a cost, right? Just too high a cost. So you've been doing this now, right? You've been walking us, us through this. And how do you continue, though? Like, it's one thing to say it, but to be living this life, right? What life? The life you live. Oh, you mean, like, honesty? Well, honesty. Yeah. Yeah. So do you ever have a moment where you struggle because somebody is mad at you or somebody is wants you to have reacted or said something differently and how do you handle that? You know, the only person that I really struggle with is my mom. And I think there's like it's super common for mother daughters. Yeah. And um, whether you love your mom, you hate your mom, whatever, I just feel like so much of guilt. Uh, especially at least for me personally, is that there's something wrong if you're not doing what I want you to do, right? And that's where guilt comes from because guilt is the feeling that you've done something wrong. And if you've ever had an experience, which I think we've all had at some point in childhood, but this is like deeply rooted, I think, in the female-to-female experience, uh, that you know there's something wrong if you're not doing what I want. Whether it's the way that you dress or the sports that you play or the person that you're dating or the type of person you've determined. And so managing that as a kid really creates, I think, that experience of other people come first and I got to bend myself and all. And, you know, what's interesting is my mom would tell you, well, she's not, you're, you're not responsible for me. 
But that's not my experience, yeah. you know. And and the same is probably true with my daughters. Like that's the other thing that I'm realizing is, oh my God, all this stuff that I've been working on, I actually passed down to them. You know, where my daughters will get in a situation where they're stressed out, and next thing you know, I hear the tone that they heard me saying either to their dad or to them when I was stressed out. And so I feel that. The more aware that you become of what you want to feel in your body as you go through your day-to-day life, the more you have the access to change the experience of living your life. And I'll say more about that, but I want to just kind of put a button on this idea of liking yourself and lying, and yeah. how honesty with yourself first about what you want, about how you want to feel. About what you're feeling, about what your needs are—that is the beginning of self-love. Is being honest with yourself about what you need, about what you're not providing yourself, about how you're seeking all that stuff from other people. Bring it back home. And I want to share a story with you. So I was talking with our、uh, 17-year-old son, and he shared this thing that was both profound and heartbreaking. And I can't stop thinking about it. So he rolled in the other day、uh, after school, and we were talking. And、uh, he's just like such a self-assured kid, and he wasn't always that way. Like he he was a real odd duck for a while.、Um, and you know, just being like he just he just kind of like I, I I think he's amazing. But you know, he like had like he didn't like only wore long sleeves and flannel pants, and and you know he loved the, the, his hair all different colors, and he never wanted to play sports, never wanted to do this musical theater. I just freaking love this kid. And then we find out he has dyslexia, okay, like profound dyslexia and dysgraphia and ADHD. And he was so verbal that nobody caught it because he could just snow them all, you know, just talk, 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 talk. And so he goes to a school for kids with dyslexia, which was amazing for his brain, terrible for his confidence, and、right. terrible for his social life because、right. it's like one-to-one tutoring, no、yeah. kind of anything. So then we're like, oh my god, this kid's losing his spark. So now we're going to put him in this independent school. That will hopefully get him excited about learning again. And that was. It turned out to be fine, but the first year was really hard because he repeated seventh grade, and it was a really small school. And just he just—I realized looking back, the kid never like was on a team, and so he also was really isolated, and he was isolated in his brain and in his experience. And so I remember we were having this conversation a couple weeks ago, and I'm like, and now he's like not like that at all. Like he's just so himself. Like it's so you don't realize how miserable somebody is. Until you see him happy again, you know, and you might not even realize how lonely you feel in your life,、um, or how unhappy you really are. That's like an honest moment. Like two years ago, when I was saying, I started asking that question: What do I want my life to look and feel like for real? The big theme for me was: I am lonely. Like I'm, and this was even kind of before the pandemic. I'm just lonely. I feel like I'm, and there's a difference between being alone because I was around people a lot. Yeah. But I had just gotten lonely, and feeling very much like I'm on the outside looking in. I don't feel the connection I want to feel with my friends, or you know, even with Chris, or like there's something off here. 
I got to change something. And so, um, you know, I was talking to Oak, and I'm like, you just seem so happy. You seem so, like, cool with yourself. What, how, how, how did you do that? This kills me. He said, well, you know, when we were quarantining, I was around you and dad and my sisters. And you guys just loved me. And it made me realize, you know, all these kids had been picking on me for so long. And being around you guys and not having to, like, go into a place where he feels separate. He said it made me think, well, just because they don't like me, why the hell do I have to hate myself? <laughs> like, it was just like, the, like the, the way a teenager would say that, you know, like, why, why do I have to hate myself? Like, I got these people who love me. Like, why, why can't I just like the person I am? I mean, what a radical concept. And so I look at him like, you figured that out at 17? You're not even on prescription medication? What? That's so beautiful. But, yeah, like, what a con- like, imagine if you just liked yourself. And then he casually is like, yeah, you know, I'm going to spend my whole life with myself. <laughs> I might as well like me. Right? I mean, wouldn't that, like, I just thought, what a beautiful thing. Yeah, it's so, so beautiful. And I want to take this to your last book because I talk to thousands and thousands of people, and people will say, when you ask them what they want, oh, I don't know. But I'm, like, allergic to I don't know because <laughs> you definitely know. It's just usually you're believing one of two lies. One is, it's not possible. So I just go into I don't know, or mm-hmm. I don't feel qualified. I'm not good enough. And so what's really sneaky in our, you know, our ego disguises itself as humility all the time, and, and it disguises itself in a lot of ways. So one thing that can come up is being a people pleaser, but another thing that's the, same, the other side of the same coin is wanting things to be perfect or not doing them at all. And I want to talk about the high five habit because it's been... I mean, it was so viral because it's so needed. And what I see when people come to me and they say, well, I want to write a screenplay or I want to open a, 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 mil- a coffee shop or whatever it is, and they haven't, it really isn't a business problem. It's really a courage problem. And it's really because they are unwilling to make something messy. They are unwilling to do anything mediocre when everything that's ever been created has a process. There's a, there's a beta and another beta and another, you're iterating, right? Harry Connick Jr. said to me, I tell my daughters, have something to edit, right? Just make the first version of it because that's the creative process. But when people don't have a high five habit, right? And they haven't even begun to realize they need that. What is that need for perfectionism about? And tell us, for anybody who, we all need to hear it again and again, even if we've read The High Five Habit, why is that so simple and yet profound practice? Why does it work? What is that really, what's at the root of that so that we could overcome the need to be perfect? Well, let's talk about perfectionism first, okay? Um, Perfectionism is just a defense mechanism. That's it. You just convince yourself that if I could get it right, then nobody's going to criticize me. And it plagues women way more than men. This is based on the research. I have a theory about this, which I'm happy to share. Um, uh, Whether you like it or not, here it comes. Um, 
Well, if you look at the research, what's really interesting um, is that, you know, when you look at the age of 12 in boys and girls, the boys and girls have the exact same level of confidence. Hmm. But at the age of 13, for girls, confidence literally falls off a cliff. And I have an opinion as to why. Wow. That's the average age that a girl gets her period. That's when puberty hits. And for some of it, it's earlier. And the thing about puberty with, with girls versus boys is that for girls, it's very public. Like somehow everybody knows when you get your period. Yeah, that's you get the bubs and the boobs and that you're either wearing like a big sweatshirt to hide it all or you're like showing it all. And it's very sexual because what's the first thing that somebody says? Oh, you're a woman now, you know? And so it becomes this public moment where you just lost control of your body. And people are talking about it. And then you also know where you fall in the lineup, right? Who got it first, who's developing, who's not, because it's all public. Like, this does not happen to you dudes. Like, nobody's like, oh, his balls rubbed. You know, like, like right? That's not what happens. Not what happens at all. In fact, for you guys, it hits at like 15, right? And so, and what happens is your voice deepens, your shoulders broaden, you get taller, and that helps you because now you're in sports and you're in high school. And it's not a conversation that is sort of directed at you where you feel lost of control. And I personally think the collapse in confidence and this, like, if I just wear the sweatshirt, no one's going to talk about me. If I just did this, it wouldn't happen. Like, that's where it begins. That if you can just get that, that, like that's a universal one. Obviously, if you have chaos or trauma or abuse or abandonment or any other issues, poverty, discriminate. If you have that going on even right. younger, you literally, it's like one of the only things that you can think about as a kid. Because here's the other thing that kind of blows about the human wiring. Like there's so many magical things about the way that human beings are wired. If you ever just stop to think, how freaking incredible is it that... Out of that one act comes you. <laughs> and you are having all this natural intelligence inside of you that you go from literally a blob to rolling over, scooching, crawling, standing, walking, talking. Like, you, you, you are designed to grow. I mean, how cool is that? That's, that's freaking unbelievable. But here's the one thing that they got wrong. Whoever they is or it is or the whole thing, right? <laughs> The one thing that, got, that I think we got profoundly wrong is that a little kid has no capacity, because our brains don't work this way, to look at the adults around you and go, whoa, they really screwed up. <laughs> Mom had a bad day at work today. What we do as children, because we need our parents, this is all about the attachment theory, we actually need them to be safe, to be fed, to be, like we need that emotional support, that shelter, that safety. We need it all to survive. We turn it back on ourselves. If mom or dad's in a bad mood, what's wrong with me? And what can I do to fix it? And if I could only get it right, they'd be happy. If I could only get it right, maybe I would get the love I need. And so our little brains aim it back at us. And the biggest gift you can give to yourself as an adult is to start to recognize that that's just what we all do. Perfectionism is your defense. It's you blocking those receiving of love because you think criticism is coming if you try. 
You think judgment is coming if you're going to try. So you shut the door first by trying to get it perfect. I'll open it up when I got up right. I'll open it up. And so that's what perfectionism is. That's so powerful. Um, a few years ago, I went to a place called Onsite, which is run by Miles Adcox and Bob Goff. If you guys ever get a chance to uh, go there, it's an amazing week-long experience. You give up your phone, and you're basically in psychodrama therapy where you recreate your family system. As oh, my a, God. As I can't think of anything worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I've already done it with my own family. <laughs> get this. For my husband and I, this is three years ago for our 10-year anniversary, I was like, all I want is for, because you go alone, you have to break, you know, I said, I want each of us to go do this. So I told him, it's going to be a spa, there's yoga, there's all this stuff. Partly that's what I thought, honestly. I was like, oh, it'll be this like mindful meditation. He's like, he comes home, he's like, what did you do to me? Um, he goes, I cried on the second I got there. He didn't stop crying. He, need, he needed to cry so bad, the, the poor guy. Um, but I went to this experience, and uh, when it was finally, you get a whole, you're, you're with a group of like seven people the whole week, and then one of the days is just you the whole day. But you actually get so much just watching other people in their process, just like we're talking, right? You see yourself in other people's stories, which is why it's such a gift for you to share your story. But when it was my turn to go, so this, this woman played me, the therapist like, okay, have her play you as a kid, have these people play your parents, and now tell little Kathy, like, what did your mom say to her? What did your dad say? And, and she said, and every time your parents tell your little self something, pick up one of those big, those big, big foam blocks and just hand it to her. And so my mom would, like, hand me her stuff, you know? I'm really unhappy in my marriage. And my dad would be like, I'm having an affair. Like, whatever the things were. And then to the point where you couldn't see this girl playing me anymore because she was holding a stack of all these foam blocks and everyone's weeping at this point. Just like, you know, my mom being like, I'm suicidal. I don't want to live in it. Like, like, it was really intense growing up. And um, the therapist says to me, she goes, now walk over to, to you, to little you, and whisper in her ear, you don't have to live here anymore. And she goes, now set down all the blocks. So we together, and this girl Alex is playing me, we hug each other. She says, now say to her, I'm coming to get you. That was like the most powerful moment of my life. And um, I would like to say that to all of you. You don't have to go through the six days <laughs> at on site, but um, you don't have to live there anymore. And sometime today before you hit your head on the pillow, you could tell yourself like, I'm coming to get you. And I really think that's the gift of mm. who you are. I think you did that for yourself and because you had the courage to do that. You're giving that to everybody, which is the greatest gift. So God bless you guys. And Mel, thank you so much. Thank you. Oh my gosh, how fun was that? And by the way, there were some other really good moments that day. I surprised Mel with a birthday cake because her birthday was just a few days earlier. And she actually ate the cake with her hands. It was adorable, uh, right on stage. I also brought my sister up to do an impression of Mel. And then Mel had her sit down and gave her some coaching on the spot, which was really powerful. If you want to hear that, you can go to the Mel Robbins podcast because she's sharing some of that on her show. Definitely go subscribe to her show. You're going to really enjoy it. All right, here are the takeaways. Number one, no matter how dark or cold or scary things get, 
That pilot light inside of you does not go out. It's burning inside you. That inner flame represents the magic and the possibility that you were born to create in this world. Number two, it's so much easier to just be honest. And it starts with you being honest with yourself. Slow down and ask yourself, what do I want my life to look like and feel like for real? Number three, your version of you right now is exactly what someone else needs. Number four, there's no one who wouldn't love you if they heard you tell your truth. Number five, the more aware that you become of what you want to feel in your body as you go through your day-to-day life, the more you have access to change the experience of living your life. Number six, being honest with yourself about what you want, how you want to feel, and what you need is the beginning of self-love. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for listening. I do not ever take it for granted. We have some amazing episodes coming up. Ralph Macchio will be here soon. I love doing that interview. I can't wait for you guys to hear it. There's so many good episodes coming up. So please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. And if you enjoyed this episode, please go ahead and post about it. In fact, it'd be so fun if you posted and tagged me at kathy.heller and tag Mel. She's at Mel Robbins because then the two of us will see that you enjoyed this episode and we will both repost as many as we can. And don't forget, you can still get tickets to join me for a two-day incredible workshop next week. We will be in West Hollywood together. There'll be about 200 of us there, intimate, beautiful. We'll get to workshop your dreams. We'll get to talk about how you can step in and create the next year exactly as you want it to be. You can go to kathyheller.com slash dreams to get your ticket. And if you use the code gather, you can get tickets for 50% off. If you want to DM me, I may just have extra special discount codes for you as well. You can come to my Instagram for that. I love you so much. I'll leave you with a song. Have an amazing weekend.